All right. Thank you so much for joining me again on our first full segment of Living in Babylon. Just to give you a back, a little background, if you're just uh, tuning in and finding out about this podcast, Living in, ba- in Babylon is a series, and it'll be an ongoing series because I truly believe that even though Babylon is a historical place and supposedly gone and over with, I believe that the effects of the Babylonian time are still being felt today. And the scriptures back that up because in the book of Revelation, which is the book that in the Bible that we as Christians refer to as giving us a view of what will happen in the end time, Babylon is mentioned again in the book of Revelation. So that means Babylon has not died. It is not over with, but there is an overriding theme with Babylon that we will explore through this series. We will also explore current events, uh, things that are happening in culture that prove and point to a Babylonian mindset. But we are going to start off with going into Babylon historically and trying to understand it and examine it a little bit more so it'll be easier to identify in today's time, in today's time being. Now, I mentioned in my introductory um, segment about the king who came up with the Babylonian code of law, and I believe I uh, spelled his name wrong. You want to jot this down and look him up. He's King H-A-M-M-U-R-A. B.I. Hammurabi, the King Hammurabi, who came up with the Sumerian uh, tablets, the Sumerian laws. Some of those tablets have been uh, had been discovered, and on them were laws that were codes of conduct for this kingdom. And we're not talking about a little small place, but we're talking about a massive kingdom with many kings within the kingdom who are enforcing these laws and this mindset on the population. And people are living by this. But the major thing that we found uh, in referencing the Babylonian laws is that it's kind of like the laws that we live by today. People are very much into an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth and We've got the the clap back uh, (laughs) season going on where everybody has an answer back to someone and people are repaying violence for violence. And that is why the message of Jesus Christ was so phenomenal and met with so much opposition because it was totally contrary to the mindset that had settled upon the people, even the religious folks uh, will say even with some of the laws that the Sadducees and the Pharisees had come up with their their judgments were unjust um, under Babylonian law depended on who you were 
how much or how little you were punished. If you had money, you definitely could escape justice, which gives us a very true sense of the time that we're living in today. And we see it over and over in the news and in social media where and in the media in general, where it seems like if you have enough money, you just about can buy yourself out of anything and that the same law doesn't apply to the rich as it may apply to the poor. And that was one of the major things that God had against Babylon and why Babylon and God's people, the children of Israel, continuously clashed. Um, so today we're going to take a little closer look. We're going to go into the book of Daniel. It's in your Old Testament. And we're going to explore the experience of Daniel in Babylon. This is a story that even people who don't read their Bible much may be familiar with hearing about the three Hebrew boys who were thrown into a burning fire and furnace. They were living in Babylon. They had been taken captive as young people and were taken to Babylon to live. And the book of Daniel chronicles their experience under the Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. So we'll start in the first chapter of the book of Daniel. And it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels unto into the treasure house of his God. So right away, what we learn is that Nebuchadnezzar was not only given the people of, some of the people of Israel as captives, but he was taking the holy vessels the storehouse of the children of Israel because the children of Israel had a storehouse of vessels of gold. They weren't poor. and But these items were holy. They were used in worship to God. So here we find out that Nebuchadnezzar has carried these vessels to the house of his God. And if you will notice, he Nebuchadnezzar was not a follower of the God of Israel. All of the kings of Babylon, one thing about it, they all served a lot of different gods. They had a lot of different idols that they worshipped. It wasn't just one god. They had a lot of different gods and idols that they worshipped. So Nebuchadnezzar has taken the vessels uh, from God's house to his God's house, lowercase g-o-d, in the land of Shinar. Now, I found it interesting um, when I was doing a little research about Babylon that Wikipedia was saying that uh, they called it a mythical place. 
But then when you look up the land of Shinar, it's pinpointed on the map of where the land of Shinar would be. So I'm not sure why Wikipedia, and I guess maybe enough people are not putting enough information in there, would say Babylon may be a mythical place, but then the places that are listed in Babylon are places that can be pinpointed on a map. It says, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave name. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he had drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And I'm going to stop right there just briefly before I get too far ahead because I found some things so incredibly uh, interesting in just that bit of the passage. So the children of Israel, the king Nebuchadnezzar, told his master of the eunuchs. Who are the eunuchs? Wow, that's a whole teaching in itself. But we'll take some time since this is a series and an episode, and I don't want to rush through it. So, what they looked for specifically when they invaded Judah and they began to take captives, the king told his master eunuch or his head eunuch to go and look for children specifically. And not just regular kids, look for the smartest, look for the brightest, look for the best, look for the well-versed, the kids who can communicate, who have been taught in the scriptures and the laws. And this is the same thing the enemy is looking for today in our children. The enemy, not just our children, but in adults, he looks for the best of the best. That's why you often find people who are addicted to uh, drugs or alcoholics. They're so intelligent. They're so smart. They have so much to offer the world. But those are the ones that the enemy fights the most 
Those are the ones that the enemy wants to capture and to drag down. So first of all, these children, their first experience of Babylon is being put under the control of eunuchs. Eunuchs, E-U-N-U-C-H-S. We, we don't hear much about eunuchs these days, but eunuchs were men who are put into the service of the king. They're often, uh, they were often assigned to guard the king's wives or the king's harem. They held high ranking positions within the kingdom. They were highly trustworthy. They even had armies of eunuchs. But what made them a eunuch was that they were men who had been castrated. That means their penises had been removed. They had been emasculated. And you might as well say made effeminate in order to serve under the king of Babylon. And it is the same thing today. The enemy is after your identity. In order to serve the king of Babylon, you know, we think that, and I'm not saying this to offend anyone, but just to look at it from a historical perspective, the, there's a big debate in society t- today about LBGTQ, whatever, um, rights, um, whether it's something you're born with or you're born this way or, or not. But the point is, this is not a new thing or a new debate. Effeminization of men, the emasculation of men, as you can see, is a Babylonian trait. It is a sign that we are living in a Babylonian age. And the Babylonians, the eunuchs, were given charge over the children. And it said kids that were smart in science and math, they wanted the best of the best. And among those children of Judah, the children of praise, Judah means praise in the Bible, is where you got Daniel, and not just Daniel, but Daniel and his other friends. And the very first thing that they did to these young men, some say that they made them eunuchs too, but we don't hear that or see that directly in the scriptures, but they did change their identity. And one has to think, if they put them under the eunuchs, did they make them eunuchs too? And then let the eunuchs train them? But that I don't think we'll know historically for sure. But one of the first things they did was they changed their name. They changed their identity. And that's what Babylon wants to do. It wants to change your identity. It wants to make you a part of its system and of its kingdom. And that is the attack that Christians have today. The Babylonian age that we are living in wants us to 
wants to change our identity and wants us to conform with the system that's going on today. So it said in verse 8 that they even, uh, verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave name. So the eunuchs had a prince. It was my understanding that that means if they had a prince of the eunuchs, that there was a king of the eunuchs. And maybe as we follow on in our studies, we'll find out who that king of the eunuchs was. My understanding that the eunuchs actually had their own territory and region that they lived in and they populated. Can you imagine what that was like? There is also the same thing you will find in India. There are men that in order to worship in the temple and they have been offered to the gods to serve in the temple have also been emasculated. They call them Devis or Devdasi. And I will do a series uh, on that and we may get into that a little bit later. So it says that the king told the prince of the eunuch Listen, I want you to feed them, basically fatten them up. I want them to be looking good and standing tall when they come to present themselves before the king. And it says that Daniel proposed in his heart, verse 8, that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. He was not going to partake in the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Don't make me eat this stuff. Don't make me do this. I don't want to do it. Verse 9, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who hath appointed your meat, your drink, for why should he see your faces worse? liking them the children which are of your sword. Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. The eunuch said, you're going to get me killed if I present you for the king and you don't look good because I haven't fed you and given you wine, then I'm going to have a problem. Verse 11, Then Daniel said to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee. Then take a look at us. So just give us this to eat and to drink and water. That's all we want. And then take a look at us and see how we look compared to the other children that have been eating the king's meat. My God, my God. Wasn't that a faith-filled thing for Daniel to do, saying, basically, I don't have to eat the king's meat. The king is not my portion. The king does not give me health. The king does not, um, you know, give me meat to eat. If the king doesn't give me meat, God is still going to take care of me. So he consented. The eunuch consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. <coughs> At the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children 
which did eat the portion of the king's meal. Then Melzar <clears throat> took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. <laughs>